0: this off. Let's, we're going to look today at, um, as we continue looking at this idea of the fact that we have uh, promises from God and we've been looking at inheritance for the last few weeks, the significance of inheritance. And I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter six, because most of the time when we think of inheritance on a timeline, where do we put that? Does anybody want to take a shot at it out loud, really loud? The future. the future. So we think of inheritance, we think of something out there, right? This is what we think of. And I, if you would have asked me, if you would have asked me 25 years ago or 35 years ago or something, and you would have asked me about what I thought about inheritance, I would have thought the rapture and everything post-rapture. But I want you to notice this statement in Hebrews chapter 6, Just, and we've touched on this back a while, quite a while ago. In fact, we I think we were out with the butlers out there and their, that beautiful vista behind us. And we were looking at this statement here uh, back then. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12, it says, So that you should not be sluggish. The eight, uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible has in lazy but sluggish, and it's a word meaning to be dull in your hearing is the idea, but that you should become imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and through long-suffering, but that idea in here that they in- inherit, and that word inherit does not mean inherit out there, it is a present tense participle, and in the context, as he's looking at, it, he says he wants the believers right now to be doing this, because right now there are people, this is the idea then of that, of that participle in this context, participle always takes its time from the main verb. But the main verb in here, it doesn't really tell us exactly the time. He's talking about you right now need to be doing something so that you can be like those who doesn't say will inherit, but are inheriting the promises. So Paul, as he's writing Hebrews here, he's saying there are people right now inheriting promises and you could be inheriting promises right now. Right now you could be inheriting promises. Okay. Now. We're not going to go through all these because we did these in that Bible study. We're just going to hit them here in Hebrews chapter 2. Here's one of the the promises. It says, uh, Jesus Christ having died and risen, it says that he might destroy the one holding the power of death in 2.14. So we actually can be free from the fear of death. There's one of them. In Hebrews chapter 4, we have the promise really twice, but Hebrews 4.1, therefore, while there is a promise of entering into his rest, while that promise still stands, You and I have the promise given to us that we right now can enter into a rest, okay? That's a promise right now. It's not a sweet by-and-by promise. Uh, Hebrews, uh, well, there's even a promise at the end of the chapter. Let me get down to that one. The promise that we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, down in verse 16, okay? I'm just kind of throwing some out here. that We've already been over these, so I'm not trying to teach these again. And then I believe here in Hebrews chapter 6.1, we also have a promise. And I've chosen the NIV because believe it or not, even though the NIV isn't always the best translation, they're the only translation in this case that represents the verb. All the rest of them say, let us go on or press on. And notice what the NIV says. Therefore, well, let us move on beyond the elementary things about Christ and be, I like this, Taken forward to maturity. Taken forward is passive. And that's what the verb is. Let us passively be carried. Somebody else is going to carry us to maturity. I don't press on to maturity. God's going to carry me to maturity. And that's that's the, a promise there. So these are just some of those promises that when Paul's talking about this being free of, from the fear of death... This promise of entering a rest, this promise of being able to come to the throne of grace, this promises of, promise of him carrying us on to maturity, those are promises that I'm not waiting for the sweet bye-bye. These are not post-rapture promises. They're promises that I can be experiencing right now. And we've been over this before, but just as a reminder, if you as a believer are worried about the COVID-19 thing, pardon me, I, I, I know this is going to sound really horrible, but don't do that. Because you know what? God determined the days that you are here on this earth and going out and not wearing a face mask. And I'm not t- telling you to be roughshod and, and run over other people. If you put a face mask on, do it for the sake of other people to put them at ease. There's nothing wrong with that. But for you, if you're doing it because you yourself are afraid of getting it like that, stop. Because your life has been and always will be in God's hands. And I amazing if Christian Christians go, yeah, yeah, I know that. But, see, and there's always got this big but in here. It's like, but. And every time we say that, it's kind of almost like if you think about it, it's like, I know God says that, but you really think God wants me just to be careless with my health? And there's all kinds of ways that we're careless with our health all the time we could all be living, we could all be the bubble boy anyway i don't want to but uh but there that, that's a promise you can use right now is don't fear don't fear okay don't fear secondly enter that rest enter that rest you can be entering that rest right now god jesus christ has done everything and let him carry you to maturity so with that then oh, and i want to have another one in first peter 3 about inheriting a blessing but let's what we want to talk about then we're talking about this this uh Promise today of inheriting is in uh, Ephesians chapter five, and we, we're going to save the verse that I'm driving to for last, even though I have it listed first in your outline. But we're going to be talking about inheriting the kingdom of God, Ephesians chapter five, and I'm just going to I'm just going to throw this out for you right now, so that you get it. So so. I believe that when we talk about inheriting the kingdom of God, there's two aspects about this. One of them is I inherit the kingdom of God right now. Right now I can be inheriting the kingdom of God. It's kind of what we were talking about last week. when We're talking about using eternal life. When you use eternal life, you're actually cashing in on that inheritance. But the second part of it is there's some of the kingdom of God that is yet future that I'm waiting for. So I have another aspect of inheritance that's out in the future. So both of those are true. I'm inheriting some of it now, and I'm going to inherit some more of it in the future. Notice what he says here in Hebrews chapter (laughs) 5. Ephesians. I said Hebrews, sorry. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. For this you know with certainty that there is no immoral or impure person or covetous person who is an idolater that has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, even God. And as he looks at this thing and as he puts this together here he's looking at this kingdom that is yet future ties it with Christ but he says these type of people these type of people they don't they don't inherit he says they don't have is the word that he uses here he does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ even God Now he's talking about people that that's the character of their life he's not talking about people that occasionally do that Any of you believers ever have problems with covetousness? See, that's an easy one. See, when we we start talking about fornication and uncleanness, we look at those and we're going, oh, we don't want to ever have to admit that in any way that we've ever mentally struggled or anything with these things, especially uncleanness, because uncleanness a lot of times is in our attitude and such. None of us ever want to raise our hand and go, yeah, I've struggled with that. But we'll all agree to the fact of, of covetousness, which... Uh, covetousness in the in the the Greek word that's translated covet here is a word to be greedy, and it's literally it's a word in the Greek that means to have more. You've got this, but you want more. I got this, but I want more. Can I get more? It's like I got a plate full of food, but there's a whole bunch more there. I got to eat this fast and get back to the line and get more. <laughs> you know, well more, and he says that greediness in this context, he says, is idolatry. And he says, people that live that way. Now, as believers, do we do that at times? Yeah. But is that our way of life? Not if you're a believer. Not if you're a believer. You can go over, we're not going to look at it, but 1 John 3, verse 9 says, if you've been born from God, you don't sin as a way of life. You don't practice sin. You may do acts of sin at times, but you don't practice sin anymore. Okay? But people that live like this, and this, this is what he's doing. And I, 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 we've been over this before, but I hope you all understand why Paul says this. What he's trying to do is, when I've used this illustration before, I kid across the street from me, that, I, that was one of my friends growing up, I'd go and do stuff and I'd come home and I'd say, hey, can I, can I do this? And my parents would go, no, no, can't do that. But so-and-so my friend across the street. He gets to do that. And my parents would say, well, you don't live in their house. You live in our house and this is the way we do it. And then I'd be going, but that's not fair. And then I don't think my dad ever said this. Maybe he did, but I remember my mom more than once said, fine, if you want that, you can go live with them. And all I could think of when they'd say that is, I don't want to live in their house. I don't want to live in their household. His parents, they might be letting him do this, but I'm glad that they weren't my parents. And likewise, what Paul's saying here is, why would you want to live like this? Because you know the people that are gonna, the people that do this kind of stuff, this is their way of life. They don't get to inherit. They have no inheritance in what you inherit. So why would you like to live like these people? You are, we saw this a couple weeks ago in Romans, we are joint heirs with Christ, and Christ is heir of what? All things. And so in some sense, I'm a joint heir with him. I can't wrap my head around that. Why would I then want to go and choose to live like these impoverished people that have no inheritance in this kingdom of Christ even God? Let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. We have another statement very much like this. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, I'm putting in at verse 19, it says now the deeds of the works of the flesh are plainly visible, which are uh, sexual immorality, uncleanness, sensuality, idolatry, um, uh, sorcery or superstition, uh, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I have warned you just as I uh i which i forewarn you just as i have forewarned you that those who practice such things and he does use not just the verb poieo but the verb proso. it's his practice really a strong even a stronger term those that practice such things they do not inherit the kingdom of god they do not inherit the kingdom of god i still have I still have, over at my house in the laundry room, I think I have three golf clubs left from clubs I've collected. I actually gave my set away, the one set I had with the bag and all that, because I was like, I don't golf anymore, I'm not going back out there, I don't have anybody that wants to golf anymore, and I'm not, I was never good at it. It was fun walking around the course with Gary, when Gary and I used to golf every week, but I, it's no fun anymore. But every once in a while, I I, I still have like a bag of old balls, nasty ones that my dad's picked up and brought out to me in a big grocery sack. And I take two or three, and I stand at the bottom of the lawn, and I swing, and I duff those out into the field out here. You know, if they get lost and they've got chips and stuff on them, who cares what happens? I don't don't need to ever find them. And you look at them, they say, oh, look at that. Tim practices golf. You know what? I do that like once or twice a year. Would you call that practicing golf? Nope. That's just going out and swinging away at some ball, golf. It's not my practice. Ben's runners, sadly, going to have to end that here, right here. But Ben's runners going out with the with the team two or three times a week, and then probably a little bit on their own. Hopefully, you could say they're practicing running. They're practicing at being better runners, learning how to do things better. That's a practice. But if those guys went out and said, "Yeah, I, I, I run, I run," how often did you run the last month? Well, I I went out like one this one Saturday, and then there was another Saturday. Yeah, twice, twice. You say you don't, you don't, you don't really practice that, you know? Yeah, you went out twice. So you understand the difference between practicing such things and a person that occasionally does it. And this is what he's saying here from those illustrations, is that there are those people that it's their practice. This is their way of life. And I know we shake our fingers at them. We look at the world and does the world drive you nuts when you look at this kind of stuff going on out there? Yeah, it does. We as Christians just get all, we just get all worked up and really upset. and, and uh, But the thing is, that's their way of life and they don't know anything else because they don't have a new nature. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They're not children of God. And all they know is that way of life. But you and I have something better. So again, as John says in 1 John 3, 9, those that have been born from God, we do not do sin. It's not our way of life. he says, now those who practice such things, here he doesn't say they don't have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. He says they do not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not just that they don't have an inheritance in it. They don't. They just plain don't have. They don't inherit the kingdom of God at all. It's not theirs. And again, I believe that the contrast in the book of Galatians as he's driving to this is if you want to live by law, you're going to have to live by your flesh. And if you live by your flesh, guess what? You don't get to choose how you, what you're going to do. That's the problem. People set out legalists set out to do certain things and they're doing it by their flesh, keeping the law. And in the process of keeping the law, they become fleshly because they're resorting to their flesh and other works come out. Other works come out. And just as an example, I grew up in some churches that could sometimes be pretty, pretty, pretty legalistic at times. And we people would really try to do that. But then one of the things that popped up and I'm, so I wasn't any better because I didn't really know how to live, but those people had real bad tempers <laughs> at times, and sometimes you watch those tempers. In fact, sometimes I always thought, boy, the, the Methodists on the other side of town, those guys sometimes seem like they acted better than some of us Baptists did in our church, uh, where we're supposedly teaching, we're teaching the Word of God. They don't teach it over there. You know, that's kind of the arrogance that we always acted with, and probably was true to some degree, but... uh it's this idea, they, this is the way they live. And he says, if you stop and think about that, why do you want to live doing these things that those who practice those things, they don't inherit the kingdom of God? Next passage with this, and this is, this is uh, one of the key ones, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And the reason this is a key passage is because Paul is almost immediately going to throw out an answer in this that is going to show us that what is going to tell us what Paul is not saying. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> now it interestingly enough, this statement here, just to kind of put this in perspective here, when it comes to verse 9, this is right. Uh, this is right on the heels of, in the first part of the chapter, talking about Christians that are suing each other. We're not, ta- we're not talking about a secular lawsuit uh, of one believer being affected by some unsaved person out there. If an unsaved person comes and sues you, don't come to the church and say, could you settle this for us? We have no jurisdiction in that matter. But this is talking about two believers that are at odds, and one, is one believer suing another believer in this, and he says, the church ought to be able to settle this. In fact, actually, Paul's end conclusion is, you know the better thing to do is just be the bigger man and that guy's suing you for $1,000. Just give him the $1,000 and take the loss. That's what he actually says. That's the better thing to do. Be on the losing end. He says that would be the more mature, better thing to do than actually letting it rise to a lawsuit stage. And all of that then, he says in verse 9, or do you not know? Because he's trying to contrast. You guys are acting like the unsaved people in this. That the unrighteous, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Very same thing that we've been seeing here. Do not be deceived. Neither a fornicator or a sexually immoral person or idolaters or adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. Effeminate, by the way, I think we all said that's talking about the male role in that situation. Just for you to understand that. Nor thieves, excuse me, nor thieves. And that word is not the violent word for a thief. It's just a person that pilfers like this. Nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers. And uh, I'm just trying to get my word revile. Yeah, it means to harshly insult. Nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. He goes through a list of people involved in this. He says they don't inherit the kingdom of God. But then notice what he goes on. and says in verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. Now let me ask you something. If you go through and read the book of 1 Corinthians, did the Corinthian believers have some problems? It's actually a really good book to demonstrate just how powerful of a doctrine eternal security is. Because Paul makes some great statements about the Corinthians that are just, you're going, hey, that's salvation. And then he goes, but you guys are chasing after man. And you're following after people. And there's little fights going on between you guys. And then you guys, he says, and then some of you are thinking that you're better than others. And he says, and some of you are saying, well, we're already reigning. We're going to maybe hit that verse here yet today. Chapter five, you're you're actually proud because you're putting up with an immoral brother that's acting immorally in the church, and you guys don't want to do anything about it. And then you got lawsuits going on. Then you got some fights over marriage in chapter seven, and in chapter eight you got believers that are they don't care what the, how their actions affect immature believers and are running roughshod over them. I mean, just you got fights going on about the use. Can you imagine? You got spiritual gifts, and you got people fighting over. Who gets to use your spiritual gift in church? Sit down and be quiet. I want to say, I want to use my gift now. Stop. You're no, you're, you're, and I, I should say, probably sounds like a mean thing to say, but I, I actually heard that once where one believer wanted to minister in another setting and actually heard from the person in the other church that was like, no, you're not good enough. <laughs> you're not good enough. You're not good enough. Because they were looking for a certain quality that they wanted exemplified in that type of a situation. And so in all of that, he's saying, yeah, some of you were these things, but you're not this anymore. He's not saying you guys are this way and therefore you should. He's saying some of you are kind of doing some of this stuff, like we've been saying. But he's, what he's trying to get out is you guys are acting kind of like those unsaved people and they don't inherit the kingdom of God. So why would you want to be acting like them? Again, it's the same thing. Why are you acting like them? He's not saying you guys are in danger. Now, the reason I show you these three passages and we come lastly to this one is because there are a lot of people in Christianity today, real Christians that will give you the gospel with clarity that will use especially this verse to try to tell you, you might be saved and you might go to heaven, but you will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will go so far as to take you over to the Gospels where it says that they are thrown out into outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, and they will claim that that is actually believers Standing outside, they always picture the kingdom like it's a big hall. There's a party going on. Last weekend, there was a party out at the barn for, uh, for McLean and Anna E's wedding. And could you imagine if you were one of those people that showed up at the thing and they go, no, you can't be here. Get out. And they throw you out. And so you're standing over on the edge of the property looking at you and going, oh, I can't. I, I want to dance with them. I want to I I eat that cake. And they're doing all this stuff. And they're ah, they're like on the outside. Well, that's what they picture happens, that these Christians, they, they make it to heaven. But no, you weren't good enough. So you're out. You'll, you'll be in eternity. But during the kingdom, you got to stand on the outside and look in. I, I read this in their books and they say this. They're outside looking in at the kingdom hall. They're watching the party go on. And they don't get to participate. And so they cry and they gnash their teeth outside looking in. I want to look at a verse. Turn with me to First Peter chapter. I don't have this up here, but this just comes to mind. First Peter chapter one. We looked at this, I believe. I think we looked at this a couple weeks ago, but it's just a verse that I come back to so, so many times. It's not the only one that'll give us this, this idea, but verse thirteen. Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober. Fix your hope completely. Notice this on the grace that, is go, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes back for us in the rapture, he is going to bring with him grace. If you as a Christian think that you are earning your future right now, you are mistaken and you do not understand the nature of our salvation. Our salvation from past, present, all the way to the future is by grace we will sometime maybe next week maybe in two weeks we're going to look at a passage that's, that looks like it might turn this on its ear but we're going to explain that one passage we're going to work through it and I spent quite a bit of time working on it because to me it is the one passage that's a little bit of a catch but this is what in my mind what it comes down to we've got plain scriptures that talk to us about Our future, Paul never questions our future. Paul never looks at believers at the thing going, you better work hard to make it. You better make sure that you're there. You better keep your nose to the grindstone because I know I'm going to make it, but I don't know about you. You can have that struggle with eternal security. You can have that struggle with the future. I think most of us here, to my knowledge, I don't think any of us have a question about eternal security. But there's believers that believe firmly in eternal security. They believe, they, they, we try to teach the grace of God, and yet there are some believers, I don't, hopefully not here, but you're going to run into them that are thinking you're earning your right to be in the kingdom. And that also, in connection with that, you're going to earn your right to reign in the future. We're going to come back and look at that. We're not going to get to that today, even though that's on this outline. It's just not going to happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 So this is talking about the kingdom of God, but I want to see there is an aspect of the kingdom of God that is future that we're waiting for. This is obviously not one that we're getting right now, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's go to verse 50. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we get to verse 50. He says, Now I say this, brothers, that flesh and blood flesh and blood is not able right now, present tense, not able, to inherit eternal life, or excuse me, the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption or decay inherit incorruptibility. Now look, I'm going to tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. There it is. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for a trumpet will sound, the dead will rise incorruptible, and we will be changed. Who's going to be changed? We all. He just said that. We will all be changed. So this is talking about a future aspect of the kingdom of God. In other words, there's a future aspect coming in which he says, right now in this present existence, we can inherit the kingdom of God as we are. Something's going to change in this present existence in the present way they are. We're going to have real bodies. The Bible never says we're going to be spooks. doesn't say we're going to turn into bodies of metal, but they're going to be a body that in some way is not flesh and blood as the present, presently it is. Remember when Jesus Christ rose again from the dead and the disciples said, ah, well, they thought they were seeing a ghost. When he says, reach out your hands, touch me, feel me, see. See, see that I have flesh and bone because a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that. I have. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say flesh and blood said flesh and bone when Jesus said that. So he's still in the resurrection. He has flesh. But in some way, that that future body apparently is not animated by blood, which the Old Testament tells us is the case. And even the New Testament tells us that uh, blood is life with reference to the body. And so this is a future part of the kingdom of God that we are going to inherit, a future aspect that we will inherit when Jesus Christ comes back. But we can be operating in uh, operating in the kingdom of God now, and so I want you to turn with me over to Romans chapter fourteen. Romans chapter fourteen. Can I ask you a question? Please do. So, this, this kingdom you're talking about. No, we're talking about the of kingdom of God. the kingdom of God is what he's referring to. Okay, so I didn't understand the last part that you were saying, the flesh and the bone can, the flesh and blood cannot. You're just talking about how into the future, that part is changed. Yeah, what he's saying is, is that the rapture, there's going to there's be a new aspect, a new aspect of the kingdom that we're going to inherit. And so, but we can't inherit that in this present form. I don't understand why we can't inherit it in this present form. He just says it doesn't. So he's going to change this. Somewhere, some way, on the presentation of the Father. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it right now. If you took how how many of you would survive a trip through space in this present physical body? No. I don't care Gene Roddenberry and all those guys, whatever kind of transporters and things they had to zip people's atoms through space on Star Trek and stuff like that. God's going to cause us to pass through space and he's not going to have to use a transporter and he's not going to have to use a spaceship. He's going to transport us physically in this in a, in a body that will be glorified in some way. And he's going to change this and it's going to allow us to move through space. It's going to allow us to operate and connect with God in a way that we can't at the present time. Okay, I'll just and I would say that that's one of the things without going spending time looking at it. But if you went over to First Timothy chapter six, there's a statement that Paul makes there right now that that right now Jesus Christ is dwelling in light that is. Does anybody know what the expression is? Light that is unapproachable, and I grew up being taught in churches, and I still occasionally run into people that will say this, that we can never see God, that we will never see God. No man can ever see God and live, because that's what Moses heard. And they then they take that statement over there, so they say, we'll be able to see Jesus Christ, but we'll never get to see God the Father. Well, the Scriptures actually tell us to the contrary, that we are going to be in the presence of God the Father. What those verses are telling us is in this present existence that we are in right now, yeah, we can't see God as God in this present existence. It's not something that God allows. It doesn't work. Can't see this and live. I don't know. Is it, is it Raiders of the Lost Ark and they open the ark and then those bodies melt and all that? Is, it, is that what happens to people that stand in the presence of God at the present? I don't know. That was science fiction. Okay, Steven Spielberg and science fiction. Okay. What I do know is I'm going to be changed, and I will be. I will be caused to stand before the Father, blameless in holiness. I'm going to save those things because you think we're not. We're not even close to being done with these promises. Because I probably got another thirty or forty promises about our future left that I want to look. That are future promises for us. Faye asked this question back a few weeks ago. We were talking about Paul saying. You know, Paul taught for like four hours a day, five hours a day, seven days a week. It was like, wow, what would you all learn? And I'm like, stuff like that. I mean, just think of all the promises and things in the Word of God. Uh, my, my experience with a lot of Christians, most Christians are walking around and they know about that much of what God has told us in the Word of God. They just don't, there's just tons of stuff to know. And every time I, I came across something just, I got really excited about it. We were going down to Bible and talking my wife's ear off because I came across something this last week and I've been through that passage countless times and I came across something. I'm not going to tell you what it was right now, but um, something that I was just like, wow, that's really incredible. I've never seen that before. And yet I've read through that passage countless times. Anyway, there's lots of stuff. So coming back to this here, yeah, we've got these great promises out there for the future and this one has to do with the kingdom of God. And it's the fact that we're going to be changed. That's a pretty exciting thing. And we're going to be changed so that we are fit to be in the presence of God. And I grew up around believers that didn't know that promise, and they knew two verses, and they thought based on those two verses, none of us will ever be before God. And I just demonstrated to you from the Word of God, we're going to be changed. Now, I didn't show you the verses that are going to say we're going to be fit, but I referenced them where Paul says that we are going to be made to stand before the Father holy or blameless in holiness. I wish somebody would have shared those verses with me when I was growing up. So, Romans chapter 14: "Now the kingdom of God here in the present." Did that answer your question sufficiently, Ben?. No? Okay. I kind of took your question, and then I ran off with another thing there, so. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. This, again, is talking about a conflict within a church between mature believers that know that everything's okay and immature believers that are like, oh, they think certain things are going to mess up their relationship with God completely. And so he tells the mature believers, just trying to make this point, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Well, verse 17, I thought I said that, sorry. Romans 14, 17. Here... There are Christians that when they learn something about their freedom, we think what? We think, hey, uh, I I can eat anything right now I want, and I can drink anything I want. And Paul's saying, yeah, you can, but that's not really what the kingdom of God is about. It's not really about the freedom to eat or drink whatever you want. That's not ultimately what it's about. You're missing the point if you get stuck there, if you get stuck only on what you can do in that sense, you're missing the bigger picture. The bigger picture, he says, but it is righteousness. That's how about righteous conduct, I hope you understand. This is not talking about my righteous standing before God. This is my righteous activity when I'm engaged with other believers. And it is peace. What is peace? Again, in the context, peace in my relationship with other believers. Rather than going in there and just running roughshod over their conscience that doesn't know about these things. And joy! you, You think if you run roughshod over a believer that's going, oh, I don't think that I ought to be eating that meat offered to idols. I shouldn't do that. But I saw Brother Tim do that, so I guess maybe it's okay. I will eat some of this steak and... As good as the steak tastes, <laughs> guilty conscience can make something that tastes really good, not taste all that great, And so they're eating this thing and they're like, "Oh, and the conscience is bothering him. Did that person have joy? Have you done something to promote joy? But he says, but that's what the kingdom of God is. So if you get that and you wrap your mind about that, when you're operating or living in the kingdom of God now, you're doing things that are promoting righteousness. You're acting out righteousness. You're promoting peace. You are promoting joy. They're qualities that are from the Holy Spirit, but you're operating in connection with what the Holy Spirit is doing. I know we've been to this verse before, but I think it's just a very important verse to talk about. This isn't out there in the sweet by and by. This is the kingdom of God right now. And I've inherited the ability to operate in the kingdom of God now. So that means I've inherited the ability to live out righteousness, live out peace, live out joy, and encourage those with other believers. Does everybody get that? you understand what what Paul's getting at? So that means you're really concerned and you care for other people. Ultimately, you could say all of those kind of are under the, under the banner of love to some degree, which would be an expression of eternal life because you're more concerned about them and their growth and maturing than what you can do. Because I'm free now and I can do that. And you're more concerned about that in this regard. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This will be the last one we'll look at this morning. At least I plan it to be. First Corinthians chapter 4. And I would say these last two verses, you've heard us, we've gone over these before here at church, so it's not like these are new. It's not like these are something, if you've been here any length of time, you've been with us as we've hit these things before. But he says, I'm going to go back to verse 19. And in verse 19, he says, but I will come to you soon if the Lord. Uh, but I will come to you soon if the Lord desires, and I will know. I will know in my experience, not the word of those who are puffed up. Now let's stop here. He's talking about these believers where some of them think that they're, they're God's gift to the church. Now God gave everybody a spiritual gift, but some of them think, well, but I'm the gift of God to the church. Boy, they're lucky to have me. I'm a great orator. I'm a great Bible student. And uh, things like that. So I use myself. I study. I put all this time. Boy, the first Baptist church in royal city is sure lucky to have me. Boy, where would they be without me? All that kind of silly nonsense. And so they're puffed up. And if you don't think that's the issue, you need to look through there. That's exactly kind of what some of these people are thinking when you go back into chapters 1, 2, and part of chapter 3. And so he says, these people are built up. And he says, I don't want to know their words. I don't want to get together. I don't want to hear how well they can talk about a thing here now. Because that's not going to be the measure of what's going on here. I want to know the power. Verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not, is not in words, but it is in power. In other words, anybody can get up and give you a good talk. I want to know, does their talk match? Or does their their power, does their life, does their activity match what they say? When they tell you this, can they live that? So we just got done talking to you about not running roughshod over other believers and causing them problems. Well, can I get up here and tell you that? But then as soon as I go out, I'm like, hey, guess what? I got a good deal. Josh had this meat down there at the store, and I got this, and my wife cooked it for all of you today, and let's throw it on the table, and here it is, and somebody goes, you got that from Josh, and they go, yeah, and he goes, how did Josh get such a good deal on it, and Josh goes, oh, they took it up, and they slaughtered it up to Zeus this morning up on the hillside, and so I got half price on it, because it had already been offered up there, and now you got some believers in there going, And they're going, oh, it's and I'm just going, it's okay. Zeus is nothing. He's a fake God, he's an idol. Just eat the meat and have a good time. You go, wait a second, haven't you told us to put other people first? And now you're running roughshod over their conscience? That's not that's words. That's not power. You see what he's getting at? And in the context here where you have these believers that are fighting amongst themselves, fighting going, hey, let's let's divide our church up. Everybody that wants to, wants to be loyal to Tim here in church, raise your hand. We'll all get up over here and we'll form the Tim party. Then the Jim party will be over here. So you guys get together. You guys like Jim best over here. And the Josh party will be back there. That's what's going on in the Corinthian church. You had the Paul party, the Apollos party, and even had a a, a group that called themselves the, the Cephas or Peter party. And if you're just chasing after that kind of stuff, you're not really promoting if you are if you're dividing if you're dividing down here among human uh, human foundations rather than what we share in common in Christ and you get together going, "Well, I like this person or these people better and so these are the people I get together with," you are contradicting the very statement on the nature of the whole body having the same care for one another, the same care. And so as he's looking at this, he says, "That's the power." You don't play favorites. He's been scolding them for having favorites, spent three chapters, scolding them for having favorites in the church. And so he says, I want to know the power because the kingdom of God is in power. Why? Because the kingdom of God is about you being saved and being able to live out God's work in your daily life. Is it important that you can speak words and articulate what you believe? Yes, but that is not the measure of what the kingdom looks like, that you can just articulate it. It's whether or not you can actually live it out. I already inherit that. I already have this. I already have this inheritance in the kingdom of God because I have eternal life. If you're a believer in Christ, you have eternal life and you have the ability to be able to function and to get along with all of these people and promote this kind of unity in the body of Christ. To look out for other people and put them and their needs ahead of your own. It's the kingdom of God. It's an inheritance. We're going to come back. Hopefully next week we will come back. Hopefully next week we'll all be with him. Seriously, quite seriously. But if it is God's will for us to be here another week, then our goal is to actually move on and look at the fact, look at some things tied to ruling. Because ruling is one of the things that we're going to participate with out in the future. And we'll come back and look at that. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to ask those here. Does anybody have one they want to get in? pray you think everybody ought to have to hear this question okay father we're thankful for your word we're thankful for the time you've given us together we're thankful for the promises with regard to the kingdom promises that we will one day inherit a future aspect of the kingdom but we're thankful even that we are inheriting right now some of these things with respect to how we function and live with one another Uh, as a reflection of this great salvation that you have given to us. Help us really to put that into practice, even this very day, even before we get in our cars and go home, that we would interact with other believers in such a way that it, uh, and not, not just out of grit and determination, but as a reflection of the fact that we really appreciate what it means to be together in Christ with all these other saints. We thank you for that. Amen.